Welcome to Freedom Fellowship. You can follow us online at cometofreedom.com. My dad loves preaching verse by verse studies of the Word of God giving its full counsel. His studies pay particular attention to the practical application, contemporary examples, and incorporates the Word into our daily lives. Enjoy today's sermon and make sure to subscribe right now so you don't miss any future teachings. You guys can turn to Luke 19, Psalm 118, Daniel chapter 9 is where I was wanting to spend most of our time this morning, but I don't even know if we're going to get there, to be honest with you guys. There's just something about times like this. When we look to the scriptures, we don't want to miss Jesus. We don't want to miss what he would have for us. In Palm Sunday, there's a reason why we break this morning. Because we are joining in with the millions of other believers. We've been studying just verse by verse through Exodus, through 1 Corinthians. And we're taking a break this morning and doing what a lot of Christians are doing this next week known as Passion Week. Okay, we're looking to Jesus. We're celebrating who he is, what is essential to our faith. And this morning as we consider this incredible, important day, Palm Sunday, I don't want us to miss what God has in it. And this morning, guys, we're just going to be scratching the surface. And that's where I encourage you, and you've heard me encourage you over and over again, we as believers need to be in the word of God. And I really believe for the Christian to be whole, there's such an importance for us to grasp the whole counsel of God's word. Okay, And there are so many neat things that we find when we dive into the scriptures that really give us further revelation and understanding and depth and a firmer foundation of who Christ is. And you guys understand, you heard it said, it's very important that we know as Christians who we are in Christ, right? There's a lot of sermons being preached today about our identity in Christ. Do you guys think the identity of who Christ is is pretty important too? Yeah, I wish there was more of that being preached. And that happens when you teach the whole counsel of God because the volume of the book is about who? Jesus. You're going to learn more about who he is. And that's one of the things I desire and I pray for you guys. I don't just want to preach to you what God does, okay? Because he can do anything. You understand that? Last week with God's Girls Sunday evening, we looked at the attributes of God, who he is. Yeah, he can do anything, but who is he? And does God want us to know who he is? Absolutely. If he didn't, he wouldn't have revealed it to us through his word. But this is what he wants us to get and to understand who he is. And this morning as we just step back a little bit and we consider Palm Sunday, the day Jesus fulfilled Zechariah 9.9 and got on that donkey and rode, ascended up into Jerusalem. What does that mean? What are the implications of Christ being our king in the prophecies and the promises all around that? And we don't have the time to speak to it all because there are many threads that speak to this throughout Scripture. How many of you guys are familiar with Jacob and his 12 sons, the tribes of Israel? He had one son named Judah, and we know that Christ would come from his lineage. And if you go back to chapter 49 and you read about Judah and what Jacob had prophesied, spoke over his son, that the promise of the Messiah would come through him, and the Messiah would come. But the scepter that Israel had the right to, it would be taken away. But he would come. And there's actually, you know, (laughs) verbiage around there speaking to him in a donkey. And that's kind of where a thread starts all the way back in the beginning in Genesis. And you guys can study throughout Scripture. You can go through the law. It comes up. You can begin to read of, you know, the kings and the importance of the donkey. And where do we see that? And it's intertwined in through the prophets. And then we get to Christ actually coming like he said he would. And all this stuff being played out, the psalms that were sung in praise of ascent to 
God recognizing that the Messiah would come and that he would bring priests not just to Israel but to all nations. And they were crying out and they were singing to those realities. There's this beautiful thread. How many of you guys follow threads on stupid social media? You know, sometimes things are said and I'm like, what is the connection? Why, what are they talking about? And you begin to follow that thread all the way back, right, to the original comment. Oh, that's what was spoken. That's the fun thing when we understand and we study out the whole of Scripture. There is so much more there. There are so many threads to be found. So brother and sister, let's be students of God's word, okay? Let's keep digging in. Let's keep learning. So this morning we're going to consider Jesus' triumphal entry, known as Palm Sunday, into Jerusalem. Really is a culmination of a lot of events that led up to this specific time before he was to die for our sins and then be risen from the dead three days later, which that is next weekend. I hope you guys come out for all of that. It's going to be good. But I want to start, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. The first one um, I want to look at is in Luke chapter 9. I have up here, did God tell us the exact day he would come? Yeah, there's a thread that actually spoke of this day specifically. Uh, Lord willing, if your pastor doesn't get too preachy, we'll actually get to that point, and that's supposed to be the point this morning. But I want to take a look here with you in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass, okay, now Luke gives a little more information. The synoptic, actually all the Gospels speak about the triumphal entry. Each one of the gospel writers has this account, and it's really cool. But Luke gives some other details that the other guys don't. It says, now it came to pass when the time had come. You guys remember Jesus saying in the gospels, my time is not yet. Okay, the hour is not yet. Well, the hour has come, okay, and it had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face towards what? Jerusalem. I must go. And why was he going to Jerusalem, guys? Passover, right? Didn't he have to go celebrate? No. (laughs) He was going to be the lamb who was going to be sacrificed for Passover, for the remission of sins. He had to go to Jerusalem, what? To be a sacrifice. So here now, we have one week before his resurrection. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He came by the way of the northeast, um, the way of Jericho, we're told in chapter 19 of Luke, verse 1. And he made this 3,000-foot ascent up to Jerusalem. And the events behind the name given to this day, Palm Sunday, they come from the Gospels in three specific passages The first one we find is in Matthew chapter 21, verse 8. There was a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. Mark tells us in chapter 11, and many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches of trees and spread them on the road. And then in John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day, okay, and I love John's account. Because John added a little something. The disciples had no clue what was going on right now. What were the disciples missing at this point? They were missing something that you and I have today. And that is the Holy Spirit who was to guide them into all truth. The disciples did not understand what was going on. Why must we go? You're going to ask us to go and get a colt? Uh, a donkey, okay, and if the owner of the donkey asks us what you're doing, say, hey, the Lord has need of it, okay? Things were going down that they did not understand what was happening at this point, and John actually tells us that. He did not know. They did not understand what was going on, and you think about that in the disciples' life, these last days of Jesus, when he was talking about having to go to Jerusalem, And there he would die and rise again. You guys remember in John 14, Jesus said, hey, I got to go. But if I go, what am I going to do? I'm going to prepare a place for you. Okay? And if I go to prepare a place for you, hey, I'm going to come back. (laughs) And I'm going to take you there. Well, wasn't it 
Thomas, who had some questions, we don't know where you're going. What are you, what are you talking about? Or maybe it was Philip. What's the way? <laughs> Didn't Jesus say a couple of verses? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They were clueless about what was going on, and they're clueless here in regards to what was going down in Palm Sunday. So catch John's account. We don't have time to read through the whole thing. But he actually speaks that, that they didn't understand at this time what was happening. And aren't you guys glad you have the Holy Spirit? You know, there's insight. And there's a lot of people who do take in church, Easter services, maybe their entire life, okay? They know the story. They know, you know, that it's about Jesus. And they believe that he is alive, but they don't actually know him. They don't have understanding and depth, and only the Holy Spirit can actually open up those spiritually blind, blind eyes to the truth of the gospel. Because there are many today that, you know, they don't understand it. They want to argue it. Jesus, especially here, do you guys know that for the most part, people are spiritual, most people believe in God? You guys know that? It doesn't feel like that all the time, but most people do. But they don't see Jesus for who he is. They'll recognize him as a good guy, right? He's a good moral man, okay, who taught good things, you know? Well, he wasn't moral because you don't believe he's God, therefore you believe he's a liar. But nobody actually wants to think through it. And I think part of it is because they're blind. They don't want to see Jesus for who he truly is, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the king of kings, and it's because they're spiritually blind, and they don't want to logically think through it, because if Jesus said that he is God, and that he alone is the way to heaven, you say he's a good teacher, and he's a good moral man, well, he's not a good teacher, because he's lying, and he's not moral, because he's sinning by lying to us. How many people actually logically think through that? They don't, and there's a lot of people who even understand and know scripture, but they're spiritually blind because they don't see who Jesus truly is. And again, guys, our identity in Christ means nothing if we don't understand the identity of who Jesus truly is. Because if you are worshiping and finding your identity in a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible, that's idolatry, it's wrong, it's gross, okay? Jesus is who he is, and we need to understand who he is biblically. And that's why I'm so grateful we have the Holy Spirit, guys, because it does reveal these things. And we need that because even the disciples who walked with Jesus didn't understand what was going on until when they received the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, click. I get it. I see it. I understand. Wow. Right? So let's read here in John 12, 12. The next day there was a great multitude that had come to the feast, and when they had heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, okay? You guys have been to Israel. Are there palm trees over there? You betcha. I like palm trees. I wish they grew in Wisconsin. Anyways, we'll have some someday, right? Took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him. They cried out, what? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They were all saying that. Well, how did they know what to say? Did you guys know the Jewish people had songs, songs of praise? And these songs came from the Psalms. They knew Psalm 118. Luke actually records a portion of the words that the Jewish people sang as Jesus was entering into the city. And the contract of the you know, statement was by comparing all the Gospels that we do have, the four Gospels, the people's words were drawn from Psalm 118, okay? And if any of you guys are into Hebrew a little bit, the, the, the rhythm, uh, the rhythmic beauty of this psalm is super, super cool. You can look it up online, YouTube it. Uh, they'll pop up just these two verses from there. But we see in Matthew 21, it also records a very interesting detail explaining that the children continue to sing these words as Jesus went in to the temple. So even the faith of these little kids, they were looking at Jesus, okay, and these are the same people that would say put a crown of thorns on his head and have him crucified just a few days later, I don't understand what's going on here. How can they be hailing him as king, save now? <laughs> 
And then they want him killed a few days later. But the faith of these kids continued on all the way into the temple as Jesus went there. And we also see in verse 12 of Matthew 21 um, uh, the, the reality of these kids worshiping such a way. Amazing scene, okay? And what that impact must have had on those young minds. They're hearing the sounds of a nation crying out for their divine deliverer. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So as they were singing out, Hosanna, (laughs) blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This is where they're getting it from. They're referring back to Psalm 118. And if you break it down in the Hebrew, it actually, the words in there that come around the Lord to save now, it sounds like Hosanna. That's where we get Hosanna from. So, O Lord, I beseech you, the new American standard, I love how they translated the word Hosanna. O Lord, save, we beseech you, we are begging of you, send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And we have blessed you from house or from the house of the Lord. So in essence, guys, these people were asking for the kingdom and they were proclaiming Jesus to be their king. That's what they were saying. So the real question then is, why did Jesus accept the praises on Palm Sunday? Because you've studied the word. You've read the gospels. This didn't happen. He didn't allow it because his hour or his day had not yet come, right? So even in realizing that they were sincere and would later demand their crucifixion, which we see in Luke 23, 21, previously he, made, uh, he had resisted any attempts of making him king. We see that in John 6, 15. But now it was the right time, okay, to respond to uh, praise of himself for his glory And there must have been something very special going on on this first Palm Sunday here. In Luke, again, very unique material given to us in the beginning of Luke 19, verse 39 and 40, Jesus explicitly encourages praise. He actually gives them clues to understand how profound, okay, this all was in answering their question. Let me read for you Luke 19, verse 39, it's up here on the screen too. And some of the Pharisees called called, uh, to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, okay? But he answered and said to them, Hey, I tell you, if these should be quiet, even the stones would immediately cry out. In other words, this day has been ordained. Praise and worship's gonna happen. If these people don't do it, guess what? The rocks will do it. Okay, because this is the day that has been ordained by me. Okay, it's been written by the prophets. You should know what's going on. It's happening here. But what were the religious people doing? Tell them to knock it off. (laughs) You know, and that's what religion does today. You know, we don't worship like that. We don't need Jesus. No, we do. Because he alone is Savior. He alone is King. So distinct from the other gospel writers, Luke alone provides this prophetic you know, perspective here for you and I regarding the events of this particular day. And then it leaves this very distinct impression upon this day okay, of greater significance than people were realizing. They didn't understand what was God, you know, God was up to. Thus, while there were so many more details in the gospel narratives around Palm Sunday, uh, the focus on and the purpose really of Luke laying down these things were the aspect of the specific day, okay, um, and how important it is. So consider the final portion of the narrative uh, that is given by Luke. Let's pick it up in verse 41 now. This is very unique to Luke's gospel. It says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept. This is Jesus. As he's drawing near Jerusalem, he has to stop and he weeps. Why is Jesus crying on Palm Sunday? They're hailing him as king. Worship is happening. Why would he stop and cry? Catch what happened. He says this, if you had known He's speaking to his people, to Israel. 
the ones who had the revelation of God, who had the prophets of God. They knew the word. If you would have known, even especially you, this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you where enemies they will build embarkments around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and they'll level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because, and this is the reason why the destruction was going to come, because you had not known the time of your visitation. What visitation? The visitation of their God. This Palm Sunday, they did not understand what was going on. They missed it. If you would have known the day, well, how could they have known the day? We're going to get to that. But first, Christ puts Israel on notice here. That's what he's doing. And in fact, guys, he says it's your day. Israel, this is your day. Your visitation. But why was this day so pivotal? And why did Jesus seem so uncharacteristically accepting praise from the people that day? And what did he present, you know, in the way of himself in this kingly manner, in this particular way? You know, could it be that we have a clue again from Psalm 118? You guys know the one verse before this that they were singing? It says, hey, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us what? Rejoice and be glad in it. It's a specific day, guys. In this day, let's rejoice in it because there's a reason. So Jesus' tears here in Luke 19.41 really remind us of two other incidents in his life which give us some great insight to what was happening here. The first incident took place months preceding Palm Sunday. Look at Luke 13 with me, verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets. You guys have read the word? (laughs) Did Israel like the prophets of God? No. No. We'll do whatever you say. And then the prophet speaks and they say, "Uh uh-uh, no way. We don't like that. We're not going to do that. And the prophet says, well, then you're going to be in trouble because if you don't, this is what God's going to do. And they'd end up what? Throwing them in jail or killing them. That's what they like to do to their prophets. And it says here, hey, you kill the prophets and you stone those that are sent to her to Israel. How often I wanted to gather you together, Jesus is saying. Okay? Children together is a, a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. You guys know that we have free will. We have a choice. Will we follow God? Will we? I sure hope so. And he says in verse 35, See, your house is left desolate, and surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is the second parallel that we find or incident that occurs the Tuesday of the Passion Week. And you see that in Matthew's account, chapter 23, verse 37, 38, and 39. But considering this passage together this morning, guys, one must conclude that the Jewish people had truly accepted Christ as their delivering king on Palm Sunday, that the ride into Jerusalem would have been fulfilled from the words that we just read here in Luke 13, 34, in spite of, Psalm 118, verse 26. So the fact is that Jesus repeated his ominous warning. We see it again in Matthew 23, 37. However, proves concisely the following. One, that Jesus offered himself as Savior and King to the nation on Palm Sunday. That is one thing that is made very clear from these scriptures. The second thing that we see is that the people had rejected him. We also see clearly that the response would bring judgment. Okay, your house is left desolate, Matthew 23, 38. And the fourth thing that we have to catch (laughs) is there would still be a future opportunity for the nation to receive her king. You shall see me no more till, okay, till you say. And we saw that in verse 39 of Matthew 23 here. So I believe, guys, that we can really narrow these events of Palm Sunday down to an even finer point, however. 
Why should the people have been prepared to receive Christ as a king that day? He's calling them out. Has been put on notice. I'm weeping. I'm broken. If you would have just read, if you would have just read my word, you would have known the day of my visitation. And how many people miss the king of kings because they just won't read. We want to get God's word to people. They need to read. You can give them a Bible, but it doesn't mean they're actually going to pick it up and read it for themselves. But we want to give people that opportunity. We want to give them that chance. That's why we preach the word here at Freedom. God's asked us to do that. You as the church, teach the word of God. That's what we're told to do. And I believe that's really the downfall today is the church is not faithful to the preaching of God's word. I think that's why we're in a hot mess the way we are. And believers, the body of Christ, not stepping up and doing what God has said. If we just had faithful preaching and God's people doing what's being preached, do you think revival would be happening? I think it would be beautiful. We've got to do what God's asked us to do. I don't want to be these, oh, sorry, God, we didn't know. <laughs> we didn't read. Sorry we missed it. Sorry we missed you. No, we need to know. We need to understand. We need to give ourselves to God's word. So Jesus here has a very specific day, okay, in which he's going to perform all these things we're going through. And I believe he had good reason to infer that day on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem is that final day that we read of in the 69th week of Daniel. And I want us all to turn to Daniel chapter 9 at this time. We're going to consider briefly Daniel's 70 weeks. If you guys want to catch a little more of that, I don't know if it's up on our YouTube, our Daniel study, I think it might be. Um, I was doing just once a week walking through Daniel during COVID midweek study. Um, you guys can check out chapter 9 on there, and there will be a lot more detail uh, to what we're going through this morning. For some of you guys, you're going to be like, hey, I, I know this. <laughs> you know, I've studied this out. I get it. And for some of you guys, you're going to be like, I've never saw this before. What is this? Um, one thing that I do find fascinating, guys, and so do a lot of other people that don't even believe in God. They actually tell us that Daniel must, the only way he could have you know, prophesied so precisely and exactly concerning all these kingdoms, and even something like this, Daniel chapter 9, where it speaks to the day that he would come, that had to all be written after Jesus was here. Because that's impossible. It's not impossible if God's the one speaking through the prophets, right? And the cool part is, it's been verified. We have these things called the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you know what was part of those? Books of Daniel that were written 500 years before Christ came. There it was. Like, whoa, pretty cool. Guess God is real. Anyways, you guys know how stoked I get on prophecy. But archaeology is huge, too because it verifies all of this stuff. Um, let's take a read here. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now this is speaking to Israel, to finish transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. Well, who's the most holy one? It's Jesus, okay? Who's going to do these things? It's Jesus. So 70 weeks are determined. Well, what are 70 weeks? Okay, that's not that long. That's a little over a year, right? We got 52 weeks in a year. First mentions are very important in the Bible, okay? And every scholar, every Jew understands that a week is a seven-year period of time. Do you guys remember the first time week is mentioned in the Bible? when Jacob wanted to marry Rachel really bad and Laban said, hey, fulfill her week and you can marry my daughter. And we're told he served seven years. He was fulfilling that week, which was seven years, served Laban that he could marry Rachel. 
And you guys know the rest of the story. But anyways, um, so we see in the scriptures a week is seven years. So 70 years, 70 times seven is what? 490 years is determined, okay, for Israel. This is a set amount of times. Now, check out verse 25. He says, there are no therefore and understand. Do you think if God says in his word, know therefore and understand, do you think maybe we should pause and maybe pay super extra attention to what is about to be said? Yeah! Okay? The Jewish people had the word of God. <laughs> but they had not read. They did not understand. They did not know the day of his visitation. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Okay? Do you guys know who was commissioned in the Bible to do that? Nehemiah had a burden. Okay? And he went before the king, Argaxerxes, and made his case. Hey, I'm a Jew. My homeland, it's desolate. They can't protect themselves. The temple's not even standing. Okay? So Nehemiah actually receives that charge, and we'll talk about that in a second. But from the going forth of the command to go and restore and build Jerusalem until who? Jesus, the Messiah. Until Messiah, the Prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What's seven plus 62? 69 weeks. Okay? 483 years is how that would work out. Again, a week being seven years. Even in troublesome times. Now, when Jesus came on the scene 2,000 years ago, was Israel in the midst of troublesome times? Were they ruling themselves? No, they were under Roman rule, okay? Things were very chaotic. And now, catch verse 26. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. Oh, it's going to be cut off. Really? Do you guys know that Jesus died? You know that he did that not for himself? Okay. They cut off the Messiah. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end shall be with a flood until the end of war desolations are determined. Um, the abomination of desolation, you guys familiar with that? Okay. Now he's speaking about Later, after the Messiah is cut off, okay, we have 69 weeks, but we thought we had 70 weeks are determined. That means there's one week missing. There's seven years still out there. Does anybody know what the, how long the Great Tribulation is going to be? Seven years, okay. That's still yet future. God didn't forget about that one week that's missing that didn't happen. That is yet to come. Jacob's trouble, okay. That is still going to happen. Um, verse... Uh, 27, then shall uh, he confirm, this is speaking of the Antichrist, he's going to confirm a covenant with many for one week, again, for seven years. But in the middle of the week, that would be three and a half years, he shall bring in sacrifice and offer, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. The abomination of desolation, that's where the Antichrist goes into the Jewish temple and slaughters a pig, which is not kosher, <laughs> upon the altar. Okay, and that's when the Jews actually, their eyes are open like, oh boy, you know, uh, this is the Antichrist. Even until the consumption, which is to be determined, is poured out on the desolate. So I want to catch in verse 26. I would love to unpack this at length, but we don't have a whole lot of time. Um, it says, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself there in verse 26. And I want to throw up a chart for you guys. Again, did God tell us the day he would come? Yeah, okay. Because here in Daniel, we have the 70 wicks, and I want to give you guys a chart. Some of you guys are more visual. We just read that, and you're like, what the heck are you talking about, Pastor? Uh, you might be visual. It helps me. Do you guys know that this line represents a timeline? Okay, well, how does God know when this day was going to be? Do you guys know that God's outside of time? Do you know that he actually gets to see the whole timeline, even what's yet future? God actually sees all of that already, okay? So that's how he knows what's going to happen. That's how he's able to, you know, tell Daniel, hey, there's a specific day. There's going to be a Palm Sunday. And this is when my son, Jesus, is going to come, and they're going to hail him as king that day. He actually told us the day. Now, the decree we read in Nehemiah chapter 2, that's where he went before King Artaxerxes and asked if he could go. 
and we're actually told in the middle of Nisan, okay, which is uh, May 15th of 445 B.C., we know the day that that decree went forth. Well, we were told, guys, that there would be uh, exactly 483 years um, until the triumphal entry, which we just read about, and that brings us to April 6th, 32 AD. And do you guys know that's the day Palm Sunday happened? Okay? And if you take the Jewish calendar, do you guys know how many days are in a Jewish year? 360. We have 365. So if you take the 483 years that we determined, no one understand, 490 years are given. There's going to be 62 and 7, so 69 years, 483 years. If you take the calendar of 360 days, that's 178,880 days. So if you take that from May 15th of 440 B.C., it takes you exactly to April 6th, 32 A.D. So when Jesus wept in Jerusalem, <laughs> I'm weeping. Because if you only would have read, you would have known the day of your visitation. If they only would have read Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 28 there, they would have known clearly, hey, Jesus is coming. Everybody should have been, all nations should have been there waiting. Is, is he going to come? And how is he going to come? Because even how he came into Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey. That was prophesied throughout the scriptures, right? So just adding a little more to this, we know what happened. Christ came and he died. We're in this time now called the church age. Do we know when the rapture is going to happen? No. Okay, we don't. That could happen at any time now. So we're in this dispensation of grace, okay? People are being saved. This has been going on for two millennia, okay? The rapture, and then there's one week that's left, and that's the 70th week, and this is when the Antichrist is going to make a uh, peace covenant agreement with many, um, and we're told that that's going to be for seven years, and we read that in Daniel chapter 27. And halfway through that three and a half years is the desolation of abomination. So the second that agreement is signed, we're not going to be here, I believe. I think we're out of here as the church. You guys can read First Thessalonians chapter 2, all of First Thessalonians if you want. talks about the rapture pretty clearly. Um, we're going to be with Christ but sometime after that, I don't know if it immediately starts or if it's six months later or a year later. We're not told in Scripture. But whenever the Antichrist makes this agreement, that's when that last week, okay, that has been determined is going to start. So from that point until when Christ returns, we know it's going to be exactly seven years. And right now, guys, the fig tree, you guys can read Matthew chapter 24. It speaks of Israel we know that she was born May 14th, 1948. The prophet said, can a nation be born in one day? <laughs> Absolutely. And God did that. And we don't have time. May 14th, 1948 was actually prophesied back in Ezekiel to the day too. And we're told that whoever sees this fig tree, that generation shall see the coming of the Lord. So we are living really in the last days, which is pretty darn exciting. But the thing is, we want to catch guys and understand is, hey, God's given us his word, okay? We need to slow down, especially when God tells us, hey, I want you to know something. I want you to understand something. Palm Sunday is a pretty important thing. I spoke hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand that I was going to come and that I was going to bring peace. And he was going to do this work. He was going to be cut off, but not for himself. So did God tell us the exact day in which he would come? Yeah, that's pretty exciting. How many, is this the first time that you've heard this out of Daniel? Anybody? Man, you guys are very well taught. I want to look at Galatians 4 with you guys, verse 4. It says, but when the Son of God arrived, okay, um, to the world, the correct time was chosen by the Father. It says here, but when the fullness of time had come, so there was a time to be fulfilled, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There was a purpose for him coming, guys. We have the opportunity to be a part of God's family. Not every human being is a child of God. That is bad theology. It's not what the Bible teaches. Until you come to faith in Christ and you believe what the scriptures say about him, 
that he is a gift, that there is a grace to be received, that we can be forgiven of our sins because of the sacrifice he made. You are a child of Satan. That's what the Bible teaches. There are a lot of people who have gone to church. They've made many Palm Sundays and Easter services over their lifetime, and they're still a child of Satan, even though they know the account. But God came that we might be redeemed. But it's for those who call upon the Lord. There's another day that the Bible speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. I hope you guys can jot this down. It says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And he says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Even though Jesus came 2,000 years ago, okay, 32 A.D., April 6th, that Palm Sunday, okay, they missed it. They got excited that day, but a few days later, it's the same people crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And the same is true today. A lot of us grew up with God-fearing family who took us to church. Some of us didn't. But it seems we're living in a day where we're becoming more and more rebellious. Even though the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, they don't even put it on the best-selling list every year just because it is. Okay? But how many people own a Bible and never read it? They don't know. So all they reason, all they conclude is what they're being told. And it's sad because the world is speaking and the world system today is against Christ. And Satan's pretty good at tricking people. Sleight of hand. Oh, we can believe Jesus because historically it's, you know, it's provable that he really did live and die and rose again, actually. But is he really God? Is he really a savior? No, we'll just call him a good teacher. We'll just call him a good moral man but we won't call him the savior of the world. We won't acknowledge him as God, who he said he is. And we need to be careful, guys, because there is a day, and today is the day of salvation. You know, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that a beautiful declaration? And when is that day? When can that happen for someone? Any day. I think how many people are going to get saved today just because, hey, I'm going to church because it's Palm Sunday. And maybe they've been to many, but maybe this is the first time their heart is actually turned towards the Lord. They're actually seeking. They actually want to hear the truth. That this isn't by chance. This isn't just a belief system that some people have in the world. No, Jesus is the truth. He is the life. He is the only way. Okay? That's not a faith thing. That's a fact thing. We're saved by faith, but you can't argue facts, and this is undisputable. Only God can foretell the future, and for anyone who willingly rejects this truth, it's because of their stupidity. You guys know that yesterday was National Atheist Day? A fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and we play all these jokes yesterday. April Fool's. Satan's having his way today with mankind. He thinks he's got everybody fooled. But whether we like it or not, there will be a day where every knee is going to bow, whether they chose to be foolish or not. But the wise seek the Lord while he may be found. The wise will lead others to the Lord while we have the time. Because again, guys, how long do we have? I don't know. I don't know if we'll have another Palm Sunday. All we get to do, guys, is love the Lord, worship him. Because isn't what the, uh, you know, we're called to do? Rejoice in the Lord. I think I might have that. This is a donkey. You guys ever seen this perspective of a donkey? I can't say I've ever ridden on a donkey, so I've never actually looked down on a donkey. What does that look like on the back of this donkey? It's pretty darn cool, isn't it? Uh-oh. Let's go back. I want to pull up that verse. There we go. 
Zechariah 9.9. Okay, this is another contemporary of Daniel. So this would have been 500 years before Jesus came. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And how is he coming? He's going to come. He's going to be just. He's going to have salvation. Lowly, riding on a donkey. A colt, a follow donkey. You two disciples, go get me a donkey that's never been ridden on before. And if they ask what you're doing, say the Lord has need of it. Do you know that when you're a king, you have authority to choose whatever type of transportation you want and your subjects, you can just say, hey, I want that ride. I'm going to take that. But as a king, who picks a donkey? Shouldn't he have come on a big white stallion? Big gold crown upon his head? Would have been the right thing. I was talking about threads before. Do you know when they anointed Jehu as king? On a donkey? And we're told that the disciples put their cloaks where? Upon the donkey? Was that just for a little extra cushion for Jesus' butt? No. Again, they were taking their identity off. Okay? They were willing to say, hey, my coat. You guys know that coats, you know, bared witness of who a person was? Sorry, I'm stuck. I was going to take off my vest, but there we go. I like my black vest. You know, some identity. You guys have seen me wear my black vest a lot. Okay, hey, that represents Landon. That looks like his black vest. But what were they doing by taking it and laying it on the back of the donkey? They're saying, my identity, I'm I'm yours, God. I'm laying down myself because you are king. You have rights to my life, whatever you want. And even to the point, the disciples put it on the donkey. But even as Jehu, when he was anointed king, we were told that they took their cloaks and they laid them down before the king there. And he rode over them. That's exactly what Jesus was doing that day. And he received that because it was the appointed day. He was on a mission. This is the final week of his life. He was the king of kings. He is the king of kings. Because he was going to that cross a few days later to lay down his life that many may be saved and many may have life. And the only way we can have life, guys, is by laying down our lives, our identity. It's not about me. It's not about my kingdom anymore. I'm going to humble myself and rightly see Jesus for who he is. And Jesus isn't messing around. He hasn't asked us to have blind faith. You guys know that? I have so many people have told me over the years, oh, I'm glad Jesus works for you, Landon. I'm glad you found that faith for you. And what goes through my head is you are so foolish and blind. It's not my thing. This has nothing to do with me. It's all about who God is. And you will continually be spiritually blind in your pride. So the second we actually humble ourselves before our maker and we set to seek him, to honor him, to lay down our lives, we're going to be a miss in this life. We're going to miss the meaning of life. We're going to miss eternal life. We're going to miss Jesus who is life. And I want to encourage you guys, we have much in Christ. We have an awesome king to serve, to worship. And I want to encourage you guys, Rejoice in him. Not just today, because it's Palm Sunday. It's a special day. No, this is our reality. We get to serve the king. And whatever God has asked of you in this life, you do it unto him. Okay? Whatever your work is, whoever you're married to, whoever your family is, whoever your neighbor is, you love, you serve, and you do it unto our king. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about that reality 530 on Friday night. So I hope you guys will come out for that. It's going to be good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, we are so grateful for your word. We truly are. Um, It is such a gift, God, as we consider even 
this morning just trying to raise some funds to get your word to people that have never even heard it or have even heard your name, God. Um, we just want to pray, Lord, that you would just open up opportunities and continue to raise up laborers who will translate and bring these Bibles to these different people groups. And we are even told, I know we're getting close, but you said that in the last days that the gospel will be preached to all nations. And we are so close to that. It's exciting times in which we live. God, and we don't want to miss you. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to redeem it well. You've told us, Lord, to go make disciples. God, to share um, all that you have said, to teach others. And we want to be well-equipped. God, we want to know your word well, that we can share it with others. God, would you continue to just give a grace to our church family here. God, that we would be teachable and open, that you would be maturing us and growing us. God, we know that there is the temptations in these last days to heap up teachers for ourselves because we want to hear things this way and that way. Forgive us, God. Help us to be true to you and to you alone. You are so good. God, you are the Prince of Peace, Father, who came to bring peace to the nations. And we desperately need that. And we know that day will come. Lord, you told us, you made it clear. Um, we're looking forward to it. But until then, God, we want to be doing our part. We want to be on mission. We want to be worshiping you and loving you and sharing you well for your glory. So help us to do that, Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for opening our hearts and our eyes. God, what a Savior you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today to Freedom Fellowship. We hope you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. If so, would you please take a minute, like us, subscribe, and leave a review. This is a free way we can reach others with his word. You can watch video teachings of sermons on our website, cometofreedom.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.